Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Nothing that I have belongs to me, nothing. They belong to God, I need to take care of everything I have. My name is Ben, my wife and Carol and I have been coming to Cross Point 38 years now. Uh, we have 14 grandchildren, and uh, the most exciting thing is we're gonna, in December we're having our first great-grandchild, and I can't only wait now, I can't only wait to hold that baby in my arms now. I was on the uh, deacon board for six terms. I ushered since, since, the, since the beginning, since I got there, I started ushering. I grew up on a farm, and uh, I knew when I was, as soon as I got all the high school, I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something with agriculture. I get up between five and six o'clock, depending on the, what the weather's like. The very first thing I do is, after I get dressed, is uh, go make a cup of tea. And uh, I love to put lots of honey and cream, take a tea to my wife, and we usually sit and talk for 15, 20, 30 minutes, depends on the day. And then, and then I get my day started. Yeah, in farming, you know, being patient, you know, you have to be patient because, uh, you know, you plant them baby trees, and then and them baby trees take three years or so, and you got to be to really take care of them before they st you start getting any kind of returns and the bills keep coming. Sometimes it rains when you don't want it to rain and it doesn't rain when you want it to rain. Nothing that I have belongs to me, nothing. It belongs to God. And it really was easier for me to realize He's in control of the rain, He's in control of the wind, He's in control of the bees that work my trees, He's in control of all that stuff. And so, why do I worry about it? I mean, let's, it's his. If it's his, and, I, and I'm, I'm just the uh, overseer of it, taking care of it. I can remember uh, going to bed and I didn't know what in the world I was going to do. I mean, about things, and then get up in the morning and the answer was there. I also remember going to bed and get up in the morning and the answer wasn't there. And the answer wasn't there for a week, and the answer wasn't there for a month. But he did answer me. I think when you ask. Just be patient for God to answer. He will answer you. I'll guarantee you're going to get an answer. It may not be what you like, but He's going to answer you. I think I should just pray and we end it there. An awesome testimony and Sharing, I so appreciate Ben and Carol and Ben sharing this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, open to James chapter five. We'll be getting into that this morning. But um, in 1994, um, in September, Sherry and I got married. And uh, like, like is pretty normal, weddings, 
you have a photographer and, and there's pictures and all that, all that kind of stuff. And, and it does seem like those pictures of the, of the wedding, uh, the, the wedding party and the, the, the couple that's getting married, they just tend to take a while. And uh, as, as guests at wedding, oftentimes you're waiting, you know, for the next thing. But at our wedding, our, our, our wedding was at one spot and our uh, reception was about 45 minutes away. And so we had a, at the wedding, we had a, a kind of a, a custom bus there um, to take all the wedding party from the, the wedding to the reception. And we were doing pictures uh, before we were going to the reception. So we did all the pictures with the the wedding party, and then it was Sherry and I doing the pictures and all that. And, it, and of course, it was going way longer than, than, we were, than we had planned, but that always happens. And so uh, while we were having our pictures and some of our groomsmen and bridemaids were getting impatient and bored, and so where we were at the church, around the corner, there was a bowling alley, and so they went bowling um, instead of waiting. And... Um, and so we got done with the pictures and we were already running late. People were waiting at the reception and this was before, you know, cell phones and stuff. So we couldn't find them. And so they just missed the bus and they missed the reception, some of our wedding party. Um, that's not true at all. I made all of that up. Um, but for a reason, um, I will tell you the only true thing about that story is actually it's, it was lifted. It was actually at Sherry's sister's wedding. She lied to me and my friend my best friend about when the wedding was because she thought we'd be late. And so we were there like two hours before the wedding started. And so my friend and I, we did go around the corner and we decided we'd go bowling to prove to them we can still be on time. But anyway, that didn't happen in my wedding. But I share that story, well, I made up that story because it does resemble a story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 about a bridegroom and a wedding. And he talks about 10 virgins who had these, these, these uh, oil lamps and they were waiting for the bridegroom to get there and they fell asleep and they weren't prepared. And so five of them were prepared and were able to, to be there for that and the other five weren't prepared. And, and, and it's the story that Jesus tells about, about basically being ready for the return of Christ, for, for when Jesus calls us all home. And so the question is, okay, so what does this have to do with James? It has everything to do with our passage in James today. Anyone who loves Jesus, who's been saved by God's grace and has been forgiven of their sins is is waiting and anticipating the return of Christ. Every generation since Jesus first came and walked the earth and, and, and is waiting for him to return. Um, and the Bible is clear about the kind of activity that those who love Jesus are called to participate in between when Jesus ascended to heaven and when he returns a second time. But like, like the pretend people in my wedding party, or the virgins in the story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25, we have a really hard time waiting for Jesus and following his instructions in the meantime. And so we kind of do our last, we kind of do our, our own thing during that time often as a combination of what he's called us to do and then what we kind of do to pass the time. Um, I've believed for a long time as uh, long as I can remember, that we are living in the last days. Um, technically, the last days are right after Jesus ascended to heaven. 
And uh, those are the last days. And it's between there and when he comes again. Now, I don't know when exactly his second coming is. No one does. Could be in my lifetime. It could be five generations from now. I don't know. And no one knows. But we are in those days that Jesus could return at any moment. And one of the things that's that's interesting for me as I've had a lot of conversations as of late, had a lot of conversations about, and about Travis and Kyle and myself and, and, and the preaching as of late and um, had conversations about how, uh, and not bad conversations, good conversations, but, but kind of saying, man, why is it just so convicting or heavy or, or pointed? And, and really, as I've thought about that a little bit, for me at least, there's been an increase in urgency for me because I don't know that I, that we are really ready for the return of Christ. Um, We have, I think, adapted our lives far more into the world than we probably recognize or realize. I, I don't think that we really see the world like Jesus sees the world. In fact, we don't call the world the world anymore. When Jesus talks in his ministry, he really talks about two distinct things, the world and the kingdom. And there's not, there's not other categories. In fact, it's interesting. We, we call the world that we see around us, we call it arts and entertainment, or we call it politics or economics or systemic injustice. We don't call those things what Jesus called those things. He called all of those things the world. That was his terminology for those things. Jesus didn't talk about right and left politics. He didn't talk about what economic system was the best. He didn't talk about systems of injustice. He didn't talk about arts and entertainment. He talked about the world. And he talked about how we are called out of the world and into God's kingdom. Yet I've seen in myself and in others in the church, we've adapted and I think it has hindered the execution of the mission that Jesus has called us on, the perception we have of of the world and, and the time that we inhabit. And I think it's impacted how we see us carrying out the path, the pathway that Jesus has called us to carry out the mission. And so really for me, uh, in the la- in, you know, it's been a while building, but for me, God has, even in recent days, placed a burden on me to pursue and promote readiness for the return of Jesus Christ. And that's through radical love and radical obedience while at the same time dismantling the alliances, the securities, and preferences in my own life and in the lives of those who are willing to listen. And so my my commitment that God has been been just increasing urgency and and importance and conviction, my my commitment to you is, is, is one, for me to be ready for Jesus' return, but also to help you be ready to be in a place of readiness for when Jesus comes back, for what is to come, for what we are going to face moving forward, 
what God calls us to walk through while glorifying Jesus in these last days. And, and really, what's really interesting about that is that James speaks directly to this in this passage today. James chapter five, starting in verse seven, here's what James says. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast or endure. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so James, James talks a little bit about the return of Jesus. And so this morning, I wanna share with you three things that we need to be aware of and we need to be about because Jesus is coming back. Because I think anyone who is a Jesus follower says, yeah, I want, I want Jesus to come back. But I don't know that we're really in a, in a place of faithful readiness for him to come back. What, what I see is more, more like, it's, it's, those, it's that, that kid whose parents were gone and they threw a huge party. And now everyone's left and their parents are coming home at some point and the house is trashed. How many of those kids do you think would say, man, I just, I just wish my parents were home now because I just want to be done with this. No kid would do that. <laughs> they want their parents to be away. They want them to come home eventually, but they want them to come home when, when everything's cleaned up and they'll never know something happened. And I think in a lot of ways, we are those children who say that we want Jesus to come back, but I think our houses are a mess. And so we're not really ready for Jesus to come back. So number one, Jesus coming requires me to be patient. Jesus coming requires me to be patient. This is what James says. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, which is interesting because in the last, in, in the last couple passages that we've been looking at, James has been pretty intense. He says things like, listen, you who do these things. Listen, you who not to be confused with the chocolatey drink, but listen, you who do these things and act this way and make these plans. He's now shifted to say, be patient, therefore, brothers. Moving it back to, okay, family members, people in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God, who sometimes behave like the world, but I wanna talk to you as family right now because this is really important and this affects everybody. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You heard Ben talk about farming and agriculture and the trees and, and, and how even today with all of our technology, we are dependent on God's mercy in the rains and the wind and the bees in the same way, probably even more back when James wrote this, how dependent 
farmers were on God's mercy. And so he says, be patient. And here's my question. Why, why, why is he saying to these people, be patient? Well, let's think about what the recipients of James's letter, what they were experiencing, what we know just from what James says they were experiencing. One, this audience has experienced trials. This audience has experienced and are struggling with dead and living faith. This audience has experienced discrimination against them. They have struggled with speaking in a sinful manner about one another, and they've experienced being spoken about in a sinful manner. They've experienced the process and and difficulty of giving up their will for God's will. They've been oppressed by the greedy, and they've been challenged to not oppress others. So basically what he's saying, it's gonna take patience for you to actually live your life the way Jesus called you to live it. And so what kind of patience is this? The kind of patience James is describing is a resignation in the face of suffering along with a confident expectation of a day when Jesus will return and make all things right. And then kind of in the negative, he implicitly, implicitly forbids readers from taking vengeance on their oppressors. Why? Be- because those that they are struggling with are also the same ones who desperately need forgiveness of their sins and salvation from Jesus. And, and, and so he talks about a really attainable illustration for the, the readers of farming because it was such an agriculturally based society. And so, so he talks about a farmer and how a farmer prepares the field, sows the seed and waits for the crop. And, and, he, and he talks about waiting for the early and the later rains. Deuteronomy 11 says this, it says, and if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, and with all your soul, he will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. See, farmers were dependent on the late autumn rains and the early spring rains. And it's interesting because in the Old Testament, when the Bible references the early and the later rains, it is always in the context affirming the faithfulness of God. So one of the things that as, as, a, as an Israelite, as you experienced the rains in the spring and the rains in the fall, it would be an automatic reminder of God's faithfulness and his love for his people and for humanity because he lets the rains fall on everyone, not just his people. And, 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 and so later, even in, in, in Romans 8, Paul writes this in verse 18 and verse 25, he writes, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us, speaking of the return of Jesus. And then he says in 25, he says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience. You see, God will be faithful to keep his promises and there's nothing that that we can do to hurry or slow down 
his plan. And so my job, your job is to be patient while we wait for Jesus to return. But here's the thing. Sometimes, I don't know, when we throw patience around, patience is not passive. In fact, let me ask you this. How many of you would say, you know what? Patient comes easy to me. Just raise your hand. That you, like, patience is an easy thing that's part of your default setting. Like, no one says that. Uh, Patience, if you're actually patient, you have to work hard at that. Like, it is hard work. It is draining. It is difficult. And it seems like everyone around you is out to cause you to not be patient. Seems like other people were born for that. That's their purpose in life, to make you impatient. And, and so patience is something that is an active thing that we need to work at. James goes on and he says this about patience. He says, you also be patient like the farmer. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He says, be patient. And what are we to do? What, kind, what does it look like to be patient? We, in the time that we are patiently waiting for, God, for Christ's return, we are establishing our hearts. What what does establishing our hearts look like? Well, honestly, it looks like faithfulness. You know, Jesus tells another parable about a man who who was very wealthy and he gave some of his servants some talents. And and the parable goes that some of them kind of just made sure that they kept what they had. Some some actually were super productive with their talents. And when this, this, this person comes back, he finds his, his, his employees or servants and, and he celebrates the ones who, 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 who were responsible and good stewards and, and made much of what he gave them. And the last thing that Jesus says in the parable, which we remember and we, we I mean, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you know, he says, well done, my, and then we know what it says, but the way we tend to interpret and live it out is, well done, my good and fruitful servant. Because we tend to take what Jesus says, which he actually says, well done, my good and faithful servant. But we make it about doing and we make it about what we've accomplished and how efficient and impressive we are. And we tend to look at that as Jesus would say, well done, my good and fruitful servant. Like you've been really fruitful and that's what matters. And we know from scripture, especially from reading the gospel of John and throughout Pauline literature, we read that that it is not us. We don't produce the fruit in our lives. The Holy Spirit does. And all we do is bear the fruit. We hold it out. We display the fruit that he has done. What is our job? It's to be faithful. That's why Jesus didn't say, well done, my good and fruitful servant, but well done, my good and faithful servant. And, and so, so it's, it's, it, faithfulness really is obedience. You see, the way you grow in faith is by being faithful, not by reading books about faith or making comments about faith. You do what God says, and that's how you grow your faith. You, you act out in faithfulness. See, our faith is lived out in the practice of patience along with obedience to Jesus and God's word. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 3, he says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all 
as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts, the exact words that James uses, blameless in holiness before our God and the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul, Paul says, gives us another clue into this about establishing our hearts. He says, let God establish your hearts. So even our faithfulness will not be successful without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and God working in us. Not only does God produce the good works and the fruit in our lives, but God also makes it possible for us to be faithful. And, and, and so, so what, what might that look like? What might it look like faithful patience while we're waiting for Jesus to return? Second thing is this. Jesus coming demands me to be humble. Jesus coming demands me to be humble. Verse nine, it says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So how do I get a demand to be humble out of do not grumble against one another? Well, it is only through humility that we will treat each other the way God calls us to treat each other. You cannot treat another person the way God calls us to treat them without humility. In fact, based on what James says and based on what is, is thematic in scripture from the Old Testament through the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible communicates this to us. I am not ready, you are not ready for the Lord's return if we are grumbling, speaking against, complaining about others in the kingdom of God. That's it. You and I are not ready for Jesus' return if we are grumbling about each other, period. No argument. That's what scripture says. Now, now here's the thing about this, is that grumbling, well, well one, James, James actually talks about sinful speech in chapter one, in chapter three, in chapter four, he keeps coming back to it. And here's why he keeps coming back to it, because grumbling or complaining or criticizing is totally understandable. It totally makes sense. Like I said before, like people seem to be, their purpose is to make me be impatient. People exist oftentimes for us to complain about. Like that's, that's, that's just seemed to be how it is. It's understandable. And, and when you think about the, the, the readers of what James was writing, they had all the reason to complain and grumble about one another. You see, criticism occurs more frequently when we are under pressure and facing difficult circumstances. Humanity has always grumbled and complained about things, but when I think about the last year and a half, I think there's been a significant uptick in the, the, uh, just the boldness of grumbling and complaining and criticizing throughout the whole world. And for the church, for the kingdom, for those who follow Jesus, it seems clear the scripture says you're not ready for the return of Christ if you're doing that. You're not in a state of readiness. See, poverty, persecution, when we are afraid of things, when we experience loss, that can all aim our frustration toward one another. 
And oftentimes when we're upset with each other, there's actually a thing beneath the thing that we're really upset about. And so that's why James confronts this because here's the thing, these are all liter- like legitimate explanations of why we grumble and we complain and we criticize, but they're not excuses. There's no explanation that can make sin okay. There might be a reason why I'm sinning, but it's not an excuse from accountability for my sin. And so James says, do not complain about another brother or sister in Christ, period. Now, can I ask the question, well, what if, what if, what if they're wrong? What if they're doing something wrong? Well, if, if, if I have an issue with a brother or sister in Christ, the Bible explicitly directs my behavior. How many of you have ever read Matthew chapter 18? How many of you have had Matthew 18 thrown at you? And and, and Matthew 18, Jesus very clearly says, look, if a person is perceived in error or sin, go to them, what? In private. What does our culture teach us? When somebody is perceived in error or sin or they're a problem, you craft your complaint in 12 words or less and then put it out on social media. We call that social media. Jesus calls that the world. See how that's seeped in? How often have we done those kinds of things, participated in those kinds of actions and felt like it was okay and we've justified it because of extenuating circumstances? Uh, I've been expanding influences in my life as of late and I... uh, downloaded this Audible book. It's actually not a book. It's uh, a series of lectures on the 12 steps of humility given by uh, Thomas Merton, who was a Benedictine monk who uh, taught in a monastery um, in the like 50s and 60s. And uh, one of the things he said hit me and hit me really hard. And here's what he said, and I want you to hear this. He says, love can't be separated from humility. In fact, you can't love someone without humility. Now listen to this. This is super practical and this makes so much sense to me. Humility looks at another and sees the good in them and forgets about the good in me. That's kind of awesome. Humility looks at you and sees the good in you and forgets about me. So I no longer think about me because I am looking at the good in another. That's the goal. The challenge, now hear this. The challenge is when another does something that displeases me and then I focus on my good over theirs. So all of a sudden, like you do something that displeases me and then I'm looking at how much better I am than you and my own good. And he he says, anything good about them is now hidden from me. And I begin to move away from humility at that point, not to mention love. And I would add to that and say, and that's where grumbling begins. (laughs) That's where it starts. Like, is there a clearer picture of what humility is? 
Think about the life of Jesus when it says he humbled himself. What did he do? He looked at the good in us. What was the good in us? The image of God that we were given. Nothing else. And when we displeased Jesus, Jesus continued in humility. And, 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 and so really when I think about this, when I think about all of our struggles, you know, talk about insecurity and today, I mean, out in our culture, we talk a lot about like narratives. Let me give you a, a, a framework here. Insecurity is the false story or the false things I believe about me. My insecurity, those are the false things that I believe about me. But narrative are the false things that I believe about you. Narrative is what I've built up about you to protect myself, to make myself feel better, to justify what I'm doing and not doing. You see, we've, we've, we've got to recognize that we have to struggle with our own insecurity and accept what Jesus says, and we've got to destroy our narratives about other people and believe what Jesus says about other people. See, James says, why is it so important to, to, to not grumble against one another? He says, because there's, there's something at stake here. There's a cost. He says, he says, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge, speaking of Jesus, is standing at the door. So here's the danger. Critical speech places me in danger of judgment, of the one true judge, Jesus Christ, coming down on me. You see, when we think about the return of Christ, it's a time for the judgment of the wicked. When Jesus returns and given all of this time for people to respond to him, to recognize their own need, their own sin, their own rebellion, and gives them opportunity to, to come to him in humility and ask for forgiveness, then Jesus returns, then he will judge those people and if they have not received forgiveness, if they have not come to Christ, if they have not pursued Jesus as king, then they'll be judged and spend eternity in hell. But what we often forget about or choose not to think about is that the return of Christ also includes a serious assessment of the believer's spiritual state and behavior that believers are judged as well. And that's where readiness for the return of Christ comes in. I look at my life over and over and I think, I so want Jesus to come today. But I also realize that I am not ready for him coming. And, 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 so, and so the third thing that James mentions is this, that Jesus coming empowers me to endure. Jesus coming empowers me to endure. Verse 10. It says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast or endure. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of, how, of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It talks about the prophets. 
The prophets, if I was to sum up the prophets, I would say that the prophets had a difficult message for a difficult people under difficult circumstances, which is kind of, the, it, it's kind of a, a reflection of any time we have to speak truth to someone else. Because when you have to speak truth or have truth spoken to you, probably it's a difficult message. And chances are, because I don't see the truth you need to tell me, I might be difficult, a difficult person in that equation. And the reality is that going to do that with one another, it is a difficult circumstance because it's uncomfortable and we don't like that. I can't help but wonder if James had Jeremiah in view as he wrote about the prophets because Jeremiah suffered at the hands of wicked kings in Israel, but he also suffered at the hands of his own people as he faithfully gave the message of God. See, doing God's will often leads to suffering and not often does it lead to power and approval. And so James here basically says, like the prophets, bear up under the suffering, maintain spiritual integrity, and wait patiently for the Lord to transform the situation. Now, here's the thing. The prophets waited patiently, but also with character that was surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God, they spoke out about injustice and evil. But here's the thing that we, we, we miss and we mistake. We have in the, in the prophetic books in the Old Testament, the things that they said, but those were very short things they said. Most of their life was in waiting. Most of the prophet's life was not spent in the proclamations. Most of the prophet's life was spent in waiting. And, and, and so they, they, had, they had to not only have patience and humility, but they had to endure because, it, because some of the prophets never even got to see the fulfillments of the words that they spoke. James speaks of this blessing that comes to those who endure. Matthew chapter five, Jesus says this. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Earlier in James, James says as he kind of begins to give a, give a, a, a trailer of what the rest of his letter is about, he says in, in chapter one, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And James says, Job is a great example of this. Job, when you think about the life of Job, he struggled, he questioned, and he even at times defied. But the flame of faith was never extinguished in his heart. He was faithful, even in the midst of what, he, what the difficult circumstances were. You see, our present sufferings are not the end of the story and God will transform my situation, your situation for good when Christ is revealed in glory. But during the meantime, it is very clear biblically what we are to be about. Patience, growing in humility and enduring whatever it is that our lives encounter. So something that kind of hit me as I was, I was working and studying this passage 
It has to do with patience and endurance. Often in scripture, there is a distinction between patience and endurance and the object of those things. Patience is the long-suffering attitude toward people. We see that in 1 Corinthians 13, Ephesians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5. Whereas endurance is the strong, determined fortitude with which we need to face difficult circumstances. We see that in Romans 8, 2 Corinthians 1, 2 Thessalonians 1, along with other passages. And here's, here's, here's what I'm getting at. God calls us to have patience with people while we endure difficulties. I don't like that. And here's why. I am much more successful and it is my preference to endure people, not have patience with them. Patience takes the other into account, doesn't it? Endurance says, hey, I just have to last this out. I just have to be the last man standing. I just have to make it. It's kind of like, oh, I see this person coming to talk to me. I just have to endure it. I just have to get through it. Just smile and nod, and then we'll be done. It is much easier to endure that encounter than have patience with that person. Again, think about God's posture toward us. Is it a posture of, does he endure us? Or does he have patience with us? I think this last year and a half has been God's patience, not endurance. God has patiently waited for us to see the error of our ways. So while I find it easier to endure people than to truly have patience with them, I might have some work to do in humility. So what are some practical things for us? I've got three things that I'm gonna throw out to you. Number one, well, first of all, uh, I think for all of us, we can let the coming of Jesus motivate us to become complete. Here's the first thing. Ask yourself this. Does my life reflect that I trust Jesus is coming back? Does my life actually reflect that I trust Jesus is coming back? Because if it does, if I truly believe Jesus is coming back, then here's the deal. I will grow in patience because he's called me to be faithful, to be ready for his return. And, and part of that, a major part of that faithfulness is obeying what he called me to do and he called me to be patient. If I really believe Jesus is coming back, that will be part of my character. Second thing is, is an activity, a do. How many of you are familiar with the undo button on your devices? Here's, here's what I would say that you do this week, every day, every day this week, and maybe extend it beyond this week if you're really serious. Undo 
a recent complaint. Not a little one. Not like that light is taking too long to change. But a complaint about someone or something that burns inside of you. Undo that complaint and undo a new one every day this week. If you don't grow in humility, I don't know what's going on (laughs) because it'll take humility to undo our complaints, especially the ones that matter to us. Third thing is this, and it's to clarify for yourself and maybe for those around you, what are you doing? What is your plan for endurance? What is your plan for endurance? How are you going to make it through all the things that are in front of you? Do you have a plan? And let me give you a couple things. One, I believe that we can grow our endurance by increasing our intimacy with Jesus. And I have come to believe that there are four primary, critical, foundational things in intimacy with Jesus. It is making sure that you are in the word of God, that you are in prayer, that you practice fasting, and that you give. I believe that the Bible's pretty clear that if we are doing those four things in pursuit of Jesus, that we will become more like and more intimate with Jesus. And then the other thing is faithfulness. Be faithful. Obey. Be faithful. Don't worry about accomplishing anything. Be faithful. And when I am faithful, God produces through me. It's like what Ben said in the video. He said it takes patience and care while waiting for those little trees to be productive. Does he produce what comes out on their branches? No, he just faithfully waits. And that's what God calls us to do. And we will grow in endurance because God is faithful. The good news this morning is this, that Jesus is coming back. The encouragement this morning is this, we need to be in a place of readiness. And the way we can pursue that is through patience, humility, and endurance. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you so much for your love. How you are so patient with us. God, I thank you that you do not endure us, but you do what is best for us. Jesus, I pray that you'd come quickly. God, I pray that you would come soon because we are tired. But I also pray that you would help me, you would help us to be faithful, that we would be ready for you to return. Jesus, I don't want you to wait, but I kind of don't want to see you yet. Because I know that I haven't been faithful the way you call me to be faithful. So thank you for your love and that you are full of mercy and compassion. 
I pray that we would be a people who are ready for your return. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.